Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning, I am excited to share with y'all um, from Psalm 90. Um, I am not excited about numbering my days in this season of lockdown. Um, Because, uh, you know, it's been a little hard. Um, but uh, I, I do think that there, there might be some comfort and maybe even some wisdom to be gained uh, looking at this past year um, through the lens of Psalm 90. And um, the interesting thing, you know, last week Chris talked about how uh, when we look at scripture, there's the text and then there's the context. And if we understand the context that helps us to, to grasp some of the subtext. Um, and so one piece of the context to this psalm is that it's the only psalm attributed to Moses. Um, and I have never really identified with Moses personally. Um, you know, one of those heroes of the faith, not to mention, I imagine he looks like that. Um, so not, not like... Not a whole lot of resemblance there. Um, but if you think about it, if you think about particularly the time that Moses spent leading the people of God through the wilderness, they were in close quarters. Um, they experienced supply shortages regularly of um, necessary things. Um, the people were generally grumpy. And uh, they're all together for this like undetermined length of time that keeps on getting extended. Um, so they really don't know when the end point is going to be. Um, so 
for me, that that resonates a lot with what we've all experienced in this past year. Um, and I, of course, am not the only person who has ever compared Moses to a parent. Um, so just that, you know, I'm not going out on too much of a theological limb here. Um, but uh, I do think that, um, I, I think that if you'll bear with me a little bit on, on this, I, I admit it's a little bit of a wacky premise, but I think we might be able to gain a little bit of wisdom and perspective uh, from Psalm 90 and from its author, Moses. So let's dive in. Act one. You have been our dwelling place. Um, so the I, I'm gonna, I have like rough estimates for what day it is in, in the wilderness experience. So we're, we're just, don't think about it too hard because I didn't think about it too hard either. So roughly day 72, let's say. Um, Moses is on Sinai. He is face to face with the Lord. He's um, up there for 40 days uh, in the cloud, in the 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 fire and the smoke and the glory um he's receiving the 10 commandments in godly play we call them the 10 best ways to live which um i i like that name for them better um and uh you know during this amazing experience you, you can see like that i love this is like really old school sunday school illustration you have like the little inset in the corner like meanwhile back at the ranch um uh aaron has melted down all the people's gold jewelry and turned it into a cap and they're literally bowing down and worshiping it. Um, so God tells Moses that this is happening and very, very sweetly offers to wipe out all the rest of the, the Israelites and just start over with Moses because this is ridiculous. Um, and Moses on day 72 of the, um, wilderness experience, uh, loves his people and he's determined to save them if he can. So, um, this for me, and I don't know about anybody else, but for me, this reminds me a lot of the beginning of the, of the pandemic. If you remember like four weeks to flatten the curve, um, I was trying to keep a really good attitude. Um, it was a lot of change. It was a lot of stress. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, we were all feeling a little anxious. We're wiping down our groceries. Uh, but um, we were we were committed. We were going to make the best of it. We were going to work together. We we're going to pull together as a team. Um, and and we we're going to we're we're going to get through this. Um, so we had no idea what we were in for, did we? Um, so a couple of things that, that you can see from this. Um, you can tell that God has um, a really strong, or that Moses has a really strong relationship with God. Um, and I, I'm using the text from Psalm 90 rather than the text from, uh, from Exodus, because I think the spirit of what Moses says to God in in Exodus is really similar to, um, to what he says in Psalm 90. So you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Moses is reminding God 
um, and reminding himself really um, of, of God's uh, faithfulness. And I think that this is, uh, this says a lot coming from Moses, who is someone who was, you know, set adrift uh, in a little basket in the river as a baby um, and spent, has spent his whole life up until this point without a true home, you know, feeling like he didn't belong and, and at times not having anywhere to live. Um, and of course now they're in the wilderness and they, they don't have a home, but God is their home. Um, that's just such a powerful image, particularly coming from, from him at this point. Um, and, and I think we can relate to that, um, in different ways, certainly, uh, you know, whether it's literally not having a place to lay your head or, um, feeling like you don't really belong anywhere, or if you're like me, you've spent the last year safe at home, but having little to no space of your own where it's quiet and you can just think your thoughts, um, where it's constant, like narrating Mario games or whatever. Um, so I think it's, for me, it's very comforting that, that God is that safe space, um, regardless of my circumstances. The next part of this, I love this. So before the mountains were born, before you birthed the earth and the inhabited world from forever in the past to forever in the future, you are God. Um, gosh, just this, this image of God giving birth to the world. Um, you know, there, there, uh, throughout scripture, there are, uh, there are both masculine and feminine, uh, representations of God or, or metaphors for imagining God. Um, and I find that usually the feminine ones are more like, um, like mother hen, mother eagle, uh, you know, nurturing, caring, but this is the, the eternal powerful creator God, uh, with this paired with this image of birth, uh, which is obviously not a masculine image. Uh, so I, I just love that those two are put together for me. It kind of, um, it, it sort of brings in, it brings to mind that idea of that maternal love and care um, with that power and, and eternal presence. Um, it reminds me almost of, uh, of the image of, um, the good shepherd, like, you know, some, someone that's, um, that's powerful and capable and strong, but also tender and caring and, and safe. And, and it can be that refuge, um, so I, I find a lot of comfort in, in all of that. Um, and then if you look at these verses from Psalm 90, uh, come back to us, Lord, please quick, have compassion on your servants, fill us every morning with your faithful love so we can rejoice and celebrate our whole lives long. Make us happy for the same amount of time that you've afflicted us for the same number of years that we've seen only trouble. Um, so, I don't think any of this, and and you know, remember, I'm I'm sort of comparing this to Moses um, begging God to spare the Israelites. Um, you know, he's very bold in asking um, 
God for things and, uh, and not for small things, for very big things. Uh, and, and I don't think any of, it, any of this and this tone doesn't make any sense outside of Moses's identity and our identity as um, God's beloved. Uh, he would never dare, we would never dare speak to a cruel or a callous God like this. Um, but no, God, uh, God is love. And, and we're asking God in these verses to, and I keep saying we, because this is, this was used as a communal Psalm. So um, you can imagine this uh, being said by a group of people in the context of, of worship. Um, you know, we're asking to be filled with love, filled with, with the very essence of God up to the brim, uh, so full that we're, that we're about to spill over. Um, with, with that faithful and steady, devoted love of God. Um, for me, this, this also sounds like uh, beauty for ashes kind of talk. Um, you know, grant us happiness for the same amount of time that we've suffered. Uh, and when I, when I read this, I, I think, from your lips to God's ears, Moses, because I am ready for the ashes part of this year to be over, I'm ready for the beauty part to begin. Um, but yet, even, uh, even when my circumstances haven't changed and our circumstances haven't changed much, uh, God can still be our refuge and God's love can still be abundant. So act two, our days are filled with trouble. All right. So I'm guessing day 398. I don't know. Um, but, uh, Moses is, I love this picture. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't actually think that, that the, um, the artist was illustrating this scene, but I think it just looks like it. So that's why I picked it. Um, uh, so at this point, day 398-ish, the Israelites are complaining to Moses and Aaron about the monotony of manna, and they're asking for meat. And Moses takes their complaint to the Lord. And while he's at it, he has a few complaints of his own. All right. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you have put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the promised land on to the to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I find meat for all these people? And he goes on to say, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me come to my own ruin. So um, <laughs> I love this. If you look at Psalm 90, there's also a lot of complaining language. You know, we live at best to be 70 years old, maybe 80 if we're strong, but their duration brings hard work and trouble because they go by so quickly and then we fly off. Yes, we are wasting away because of your wrath. We are paralyzed with fear on account of your rage. You put our sins right in front of you, set our hidden faults in the light from your face. Yes, all our days slip away because of your fury. We finish up our years in a whimper. Um, so I think this 
scene is really interesting because it flips the, the narrative a little bit. And instead of seeing Moses as the parent, which he is, you know, he's acting in sort of this parental role, as he says, um, he's uh, in, in, this, in this part, Moses is crying out to God as, as his parent, um, you know, complaining to God as his, as his father. Um, and I think that this reminds us that, uh, that God is our parent and God is eternal and powerful and loving. And we can lay all of our frustration and all of our hurt and our rage at God's feet without ever risking our status as God's beloved. I know that I have cried out to God more than once this past year in anger and frustration, um, often with words that are not fit for our Sunday morning gatherings. Uh, and I'm so grateful that I don't have to pretend that everything is okay. Uh, what's more, this creator mother kind of image of God that, that I mentioned earlier, um, it reminds me, and I think it can remind us that um, the, the God who made us, you know, knows he, he's numbered the hairs on our heads. Um, God knows the situation and knows us better than we do. Um, so we're not going to shock or offend God. Uh, and God wants us to be honest about how we feel. And God has already promised to love us through it, um, regardless of how angry we are or how bad our attitudes are. Um, you know, even though Moses comes to God with language that strikes me as pretty disrespectful. Uh, I mean, if my kids spoke to me in that tone, I'd be a little annoyed. Um, God still answers his prayer. So uh, not his prayer to be struck down, <laughs> but his prayer uh, for me, for the people. Uh, God provides quail and so much quail that the people get really tired of it. Um, but I love, again, I love this picture because <laughs> the figure in the middle is just pointing at it like, look, it's a bird. Um, And act three, establish the work of our hands. Um, so in this third scene, uh, we are at day, let's say 1,458. Um, and Moses's big sister, Miriam, the one who was there hiding in the bulrushes when he was uh, cast adrift on that little, in the basket as a baby the one who was a prophet in her own right, and, and I would argue a, a steadying influence on Moses, um, Miriam dies. And to make things worse, uh, the water dries up and the Israelites uh, are thirsty. Uh, people complain to Moses and Aaron and the two of them walk into the tent of meeting and they just fall face down at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Um, they have, they have nothing. They have no energy to say anything. They just fall. Um, and you know what? God answers their prayer before they even say it. Um, even without them asking the question, God tells Moses to take his staff and go before the people and speak to the rock and tell the rock to give them water. And uh, I don't know if you can tell from this picture, 
but um, Moses uh, looks like he's about to break a pinata at a kid's birthday party, uh, swinging that staff at the rock. Um, so this is the description of what he actually says and does. He says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, right? Raises his, raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Um, so I know that I have definitely lashed out at my family in the past year um, in situations where it wasn't even about them. Uh, it wasn't about what they were doing or what they hadn't done. Uh, it was my own grief at the state of the world and the state of the church and the massive death, uh, the rampant racism, the frustrations and the claustrophobia of a year of quarantine. And if God had specifically instructed me to pick up a stick at some point in the last few months, I can't guarantee that I wouldn't have swung it at something. Um, but that's not what God told Moses to do. Uh, and rather than making the miraculous provision of water a demonstration of God's power and care, Moses makes it a demonstration of his own anger and frustration uh, and puts himself at the center and even kind of takes credit for the miracle. Um, but what happens next is really interesting to me. Uh, God, who loves Moses and loves the people, provides the water anyway, uh, even though Moses gets it wrong. But later, God tells Moses that because he has dishonored God's name in front of everybody, he's going to have to suffer the same consequence as the rest of the Israelites who were unfaithful to God, and he'll die before reaching the promised land. There seems to be a line here. Um, Moses can question and rage at God, and that's totally fine. Uh, but as a leader of the people, uh, he can't misrepresent God to them without a consequence. Um, God is going to be glorified and people, even really important people aren't powerful enough to mess that up. But still in the midst of this consequence, uh, God mercifully allows Moses to see the promised land. Um, And, and I think when he, I think part of that is seeing that all the work that he has done, carrying these people in his arms as if they were infants, uh, that all of that work meant something. And that even if he doesn't go with them, he knows that they're going to get where they need to be. Um, this is... Uh, this is to me um, a beautiful example of seeing um, the work of his hands being established. Now, talking about establishing the work of my hands in these pandemic times uh, feels kind of laughable in a way. Uh, I feel like it takes everything I have just to survive the day, uh, many days. Uh, I hear folks uh, accusing themselves of being lazy and unproductive when I really think 
what they're doing and what a lot of us are doing is trying to pretend that everything is fine uh, when it's not fine. And we can't function as if everything is fine when it's clearly not. Um, but even now, God is at work within you, within me, within us uh, to will and to work for God's good purposes. Um, that's from Philippians. Uh, but, you know, there have been times in my life when I have begged God to use me for something, anything. I just wanted to feel useful for the kingdom. And as I look back on these times, I think that these prayers came from a deep sense that my worth was tied to my productivity. So while it is a very good thing to want to build God's kingdom, let's not get this part backwards. God is not telling us to build things that will last. We are asking God to allow us to participate in God's kingdom building everlasting work. We're like the children who are helping out our parent with a project. We're not trying to earn our keep. Um, we're, we're just trying to hang out with mom or dad uh, and do the cool thing that we see them doing. And the truly miraculous part to me is that God says yes. Uh, Moses' sin, as grave as it was, didn't preclude him from continuing on as Israel's leader for the rest of his life. He got to continue on in the good work he was doing and even received assurance that God has, had indeed used his hands to establish something good and lasting. Um, and All right, I can't seem to stop. Oh, stop sharing. There we go. All right. I would love it if y'all would pray with me. Good and loving creator God, teach us to number our days, even when they all seem to run together. Remind us that you are infinitely powerful and wise, even when we don't understand what's happening. Root us deeply in the knowledge that we are your beloved children, even when we mess up and we lash out at our people. Gracious God, come quickly to help us and all who are hurting. Establish the work of our hands. Amen. <laughs>